All right, well, as our kids head back to the Fellowship Hall for Children's Church, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. We are trucking right along through, uh, through this book of Nehemiah as we look at what it means to, uh, to revive, to, to rebuild, and to renew not, not just our church, but our lives as well. And uh, so this morning, we're going to, we come to a place in, in the book of Nehemiah where, where Nehemiah is being faced with some pretty intense opposition. Now, uh, back when we were in, I believe it was chapter 2, we saw that opposition to God's uh, purposes and God's people gives us the ability to show grace, to, to live out the gospel. And this morning, we're going to see that, that just because we are in the center of God's will doesn't mean that all runs smoothly. See, I feel like that's a, that's a lie that's been preached a lot. So I've heard before that, uh, you know, somebody will say to you, well, the safest place you could possibly be is in the center of God's will. Which is, which, which, okay, let, let's talk. So, so for a second, in one sense, that's true. Because when, when you are in the center of God's will, we know that they were right where he wants us to be. There's security there, but, but there's not necessarily safety. But, but here's, what I've, here's what I've learned. I, I would much rather be confronted in the middle of God's will, experience confrontation in the center of God's will, than to experience comfort outside of God's will. Would much rather experience confrontation for being in God's will than, than to experience comfort outside of God's will. And so what we're going to see this morning is Nehemiah um, being right where God wants him. And yet encountering some persecution, some opposition, strictly because he's right where God wants him. And because we live in a world and we have an enemy who... who is completely against the purposes of God and the people of God. Um, and so what we said that Nehemiah's task, the, the, the thing that he's been called to, is to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, which provided safety and security for God's people in Jerusalem. And then we've, we've said that we've also been given a task. We've similarly been called to the task to make disciples. And that, that the gospel is the only thing that provides real security for believers. And, and along those same lines, the gospel provides a certain level of safety because we know that, that if we are in Christ, that, um, remember that, that Paul said, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Jesus said, don't, don't fear them who can kill the body, but, but feel him, fear him who can kill both the body and soul. So, so we know that if we are in Christ, we are secure. And, and Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's, there's safety and there's security being in the will of God. And yet, just because we are safe and secure in Christ doesn't mean that all goes smoothly all the time. And so that's where we are this morning in Nehemiah. And so if you will stand with me, we're going to read uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, and we're going to read down through verse 14. We'll, we'll cover the whole text this morning, the whole chapter. We'll read through verse 14 right now. The word of the Lord says this, um, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. 
He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads, and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt, or let their sin be erased from your sight, because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall. Until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had the will to keep working. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing, and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborer fell since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and time again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest sections of the wall as the at the vulnerable areas. I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and homes. Let's pray together. Father, we lay this text before you this morning. Will you show us through your word how to encounter opposition to our faith, how to encounter opposition when it arrives in our lives? And may we... When we encounter opposition, know that we stand firm in Christ Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Man, all right. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, it's, it's kind of interesting to take an Old Testament text like this and then um, fast forward uh, about 2,500 years and, and try to figure out what on earth it looks like um, in Alamogordo, New Mexico in 2017. Um, and so here's, here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the reality of... Uh, opposition for a believer. So, so we live in a world that, that if, if you're paying attention, is becoming increasingly uh, opposed to the things of God. And so as soon as somebody uh, finds out that you're a Christian, there, there's almost this immediate idea that you are somehow backwards. And, and especially if they find out you're a Baptist, like we're going to be lumped in with Westboro Baptist Church. And they're picket signs, okay? That, that, is, that is how we are perceived. Listen, I, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's accurate. But what I'm saying is that reality is, that, that reality exists, that that's how we are perceived. And, and so um, we live in a world where the, where the things of God are continually questioned. And for anyone to say, well, this is why I made the decision I did, because I'm a believer who, who stands on the word of God, you are immediately going to be mocked, maligned, um, and, and in many cases, almost pushed aside and saying, you can't believe that. So this morning, we're going to see how Nehemiah responds. Um, the first thing I want us to understand, we, we, we're faced with some realities here. The first reality is that followers of Christ will be mocked. Okay? 
We see it all throughout Scripture, and we see it here, even in the Old Testament. We see it with Nehemiah. As he is carrying out the work of God, these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, show up and immediately start mocking him. Now, I think I said last week, um, when I picture Sanballat and Tobiah, I, I kind of get the, the pictures of, um, of Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. Okay? The two old guys in the balcony, right? That's, that's the picture I get. Um, but a little bit more intense. So, so picture like Sandballot and Tobiah with Secret Service protection. Okay, or Statler and Waldorf with Secret Service protection. That's kind of the, so, so like they're, they're just kind of standing back mocking, but they're surrounded by thugs with machine guns. Okay, that's, that's kind of how the, the, the picture that I get here. And so they show up and they immediately start mocking the Jews. You see in verse 2. Sanballat starts saying, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life? And then Tobiah shows up, and he just takes the nastiness to a whole other level. He starts saying, hey, listen, man, have you seen their wall? Like, even if a fox jumped up on it, that whole thing is going to crumble. Now, from a historical standpoint, we know that's not the case. Because when um, archaeologists have excavated this, they discovered that the walls that Nehemiah rebuilt were nine feet thick. These were substantial. So what are they doing? They're, they're trying to attack the morale of the workers. They're, they're trying to um, create a, a sense that what they're doing is not worth it. And they're mocking them. Now, remember Jesus told us to pray for our enemies, yes? Okay, Matthew 5, 43 and 44, you've heard it said, uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, now I'm going to argue that Nehemiah gives us an example of how we should not pray for our enemies. Okay, and, and in fact, throughout the Psalms, we have periodically these, these Psalms that are called imprecatory Psalms. That, that's a big word. Basically, it's, it's praying against people. Now, here's one of the things I love about the Bible. The, the Bible is incredibly honest. And so we have here Nehemiah, right? And he's, he's getting mocked by Sanballat and Tobiah. And this is what he prays for them in verse 4. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Look at verse 5. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So did you get what he just prayed? He prayed, God, even if they pray and ask for forgiveness, say no. Ignore their prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? I mean, that's... that's <laughs> now, now, now listen, all right? I think on one hand, what, what he's doing is good. He's, he's praying that God will judge his enemies. And we know that God judges his enemies. So on one hand, he's to be credited because he himself is not taking revenge. He's, he's staying about the task. But we see here a level of the frustration where he's like, God, I just want you to like, like, you just, just kill them. Kill them all. And so listen, we have this whole, there's this whole set of psalms that are called imprecatory psalms. And I put some of them up. Because these are in scripture, right? So we've got to do something with them, right? And I, I'm going to say these are... These are a great example that the Bible doesn't cover over um, the imperfection of its people. Because even David, who, who was called a man after God's own heart, had these moments where he just cried out to God, God, just, just come and destroy him. 
It's, it, he's crying out honestly to God. So if I learn anything from the imprecatory psalms, it's that God is not offended by my prayers. And even, so, so listen, if you're stuck in a dead-end job and, and your boss hates you and you, well, we can't hate, so we greatly dislike our boss, right? What I learned here is it's, it's okay to be honest with God and say, God, I, I, I can't stand it. Look, look at these psalms. I, I just thought these were kind of funny um, and, and fun to, to look at. Uh, Psalm 5, 9, and 10, For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. So what's he doing here? He's praying that God would defend him. He's praying that God would, God would judge. He said, I, I, I place this in your hands. You take it upon yourself and do what's right. In Psalm 104, 34, or 35, maybe this is a prayer you've prayed before. May sinners vanish from the earth and wicked people be no more. My soul, bless the Lord, hallelujah. <laughs> I love it. There's, just, there's a level of honesty here. So listen, when you're frustrated, it's okay to let God know you're frustrated. When, when you got somebody that's, that's driving you nuts, it's okay to say, God, I, I, I can't stand them. I can't do it. Mothers, you ever prayed this for your kid? Lord, I love them. But they might not survive the day. Right? One of us will not survive this day if you don't, if you don't step in and take control. So, so listen, understand, this is a reality for believers. We will be mocked. And we don't just need to, I don't think we're called to go through life with, with a countenance, with, with a, with an attitude that's not based in reality. So listen, when, when you, if you're mocked for your faith, it's okay to say, you know what, that, that's not a lot of fun. I'm not enjoying that at the moment. God, I don't know how I'm going to get through it. In, in fact, I, I need you to come and, and defend here. You've you got to break some hearts because I'm not getting through. It's okay to be honest about that. Here's the second thing that we see. Um, followers of Christ will be maligned. Now, that's a big word. It kind of means mocked, but, but there's another element to it. And so uh, the, the, the reason I said that, that Sandbell and Tobiah kind of reminded me like, of Statler and Waldorf, but with secret services, because they escalate their attacks. So in the first uh, four or five verses, it, it's just um, them threatening and them kind of making fun of. And then in beginning of verse six, things get serious. Now, in the middle of the mocking, Nehemiah says, so we rebuilt the wall until it was uh, joined together up to half its height. So they got it halfway done for the people had the will to keep working. In other words, what he's saying here is we're making some progress. Even amidst the mocking, uh, we are making some progress. And then these guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, go from just simply mocking to, to getting pretty ruthless. Verse 7 says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the repair to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So, so the, uh, the, they, they're banding together to come not just make fun of, but to, to begin fighting against the workers. At this point, let me say, there's a line of thought in Christianity that believers are never allowed to defend ourselves. 
that we've got to stand there and be a punching bag. What we see here in Nehemiah is that's not the case. Look at verse 9. Nehemiah says, So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard. In other words, he said, listen, God, we, we, we believe that you're going to protect us. We're also ready to defend ourselves if necessary. So, so here's the best illustration I know to do this. Um, I hope that you pray God's blessings and protection on your house. But I would also caution you to lock your door at night. There's a line of Christianity that, that I think gets very dumb when, when we say, uh, listen, I've prayed and I know God's going to protect me, so I'm going to go off and do all kinds of stupid stuff. N- no, no. Having faith is no substitute for common sense. Nehemiah says, listen, we prayed to God and we're going to keep right on working and we stationed a guard. We, we were prepared for attacks. And then we see what happens here in, in 10... 11 and 12, we, we see, we see the, the psychological effects of being mocked and being threatened. It says, in Judah it was said, the strength of the laborer fell since there is so much rubble. We will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they won't realize it until we're among them and can kill them and can stop the work. And then verse 12, when the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and time again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. Here's what I think is going on here. We're seeing the effect of some rumors taking root in people's lives. And oh man, have you, have you heard how bad things are? I, I, I've served in a church. Not, not, not one that I pastored. I was on staff at a church where we saw the devastating effects of rumors on a fellowship. Because what rumors will do is take a small bit of truth and blow it out of proportion and make small problems seem insurmountable. And I think that's what's happening here. Are there some very real threats? Yes, we see that. But we also see that that this fear is taking root in the people's hearts and it's being blown out of proportion. So that the Jews inside the wall are saying, man, listen, the the strength of the laborer fails. They're they're losing their will to work. We're never going to finish it. And that gives their enemies fuel to say, don't worry, they're they're not going to be able to repair it anyway. We've got to them. We're in their heads and, and they're done. And then in verse 12, what's happening, it says the Jews outside the city. So, so the neighbors, have you, the neighboring cities have even heard about it. And they say, listen, man, we, we are being attacked at every turn. Things are being blown out of proportion. Now, now here's why I say that. They were faced with a big task, re- repair the wall of Jerusalem. We're faced with a big task as we rebuild and repair First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. And again, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the people gathered at First Baptist Church. It would be very easy to get discouraged and say, man, this, this is a losing battle. we got too far to go. And we have an enemy who likes to strike fear into the hearts, yes, even of followers of Christ when he can, and say, this is hopeless. There's, there's no hope. Why, why don't, you'd be better just to go on somewhere else. I believe, as, as, as today we start year two together, I believe God's not done with this. I believe we, we have a lot of work to do. There's no doubt about it. 
But I believe through Nehemiah, we see that when God's people band together for his purposes and for his glory, they are unstoppable. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that the same is true for us. Now, when it comes to being maligned, listen, again, so, so I have two, I've, I've had um, promise statements here, right? As believers, we will be mocked and we will be maligned. And here's the thing about it. We can claim that as a promise. Maybe we're not ready to, to sing standing on the promises to these, but, but it's reality. Because here's what Jesus promised, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. Right after this, in the same passage, Jesus said, remember if, that, that a slave is not greater than his master. If the world hates you, what he's saying is, take heart, don't be discouraged. You're in good company because it hated me first. And here's what I know. If I, if I can do anything else, I want to make sure that I am on the side of Jesus. Amen. I believe it was Ronald Reagan who said, somebody asked him, do you think you're on God's side? And he said, my, my main concern is not that he's on my side. My, my concern is that I'm on his side. Because here's our promise. Yeah, we will be mocked. Yes, we will be maligned. At times we'll be threatened. But, but here's the promise also. Followers of Christ will not be moved. Pick up with me in verse 15. Let's read down to the end of the chapter. It says, When our enemies heard that we knew their scheme and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building, and the trumpeter was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the trumpet sound, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work. While half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, let everyone and his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants, and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when washing. And so here's the, here's the picture. They're working, and they've got a shovel in one hand, and they've got a sword in the other. And they're working, they're, they're being proactive in the work of God, ready to defend themselves when necessary. They did not let the threat of attack throw them off their work. And they didn't form holy huddles and say, well, listen, the, the world is, is bad out there. It's closing in on us. We, 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 better, you know, we better not get too far out on the wall or else we're going to be in serious danger. So let's, let's just pull back and, and let's just meet in our houses. Let, let's pull back from the world. They were actively at work and prepared to defend themselves when necessary. And we can do that because we have a promise in Scripture that the people of God, the church, will not be overcome. 
See, if it could have been, it would have been by now. Because from the moment believers first gathered together, after Christ ascended into heaven, from the moment the believers first gathered together, there have been those who have wanted to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And they haven't done it yet. Why? Well, Jesus also gave us a promise. Remember when he was talking to Peter, Matthew 16, 18. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower. Now, if you, this doesn't translate well into English. If you look at it in the Greek, what he just told Peter is, he looked at Peter and he said, listen, P- Peter, you're a pebble. That's what, that's what Peter's name meant. You're, you're a pebble. Then I believe Jesus looked at him and said, but, but on this rock, you, you are Petros, you're, you're Peter, on this Petra, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the forces of hell are going to fight against it. They're going to push and push and push, but they will not overpower it. So we see people working with a sword and a, and a, and a shovel. What do we do with that? Does that mean I need to carry a sword, to, a sword with me everywhere I go? Well, yes, but it's not like you think. Because we've been given a sword. Ephesians 6.17, when Paul's walking through the, uh, the armor of God, he says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Now let's talk about swords for a minute. If they're not handled correctly, they can cause a great deal of damage to you and to those around you. Is that not true about this word? If it's mishandled, can this do a great deal of damage? You bet it can. But here's what I also know, that if a sword is handled correctly, it's a very effective tool in fighting off the attacks of the enemy and in protecting the people inside a household. This has been called the most dangerous book in history, and I believe that's a pretty effective statement. So yes, it is the most dangerous book in history. It's also the most powerful book in history. But there's a key to understanding how to handle it correctly. Because the sword only works if it's used properly, and it only works for those who also have the helmet of salvation. So listen, if you're here this morning, and you you would say you have never crossed the line of faith as a follower of Christ Jesus, you do not have the protection of the Word of God. And I don't don't say that to, to be mean or to step on toes. I say that as a reality that we're presented with in the Scripture. Because the Bible says that apart from Christ Jesus, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Without God, without hope in the world. But it also said that Christ Jesus gave his life to bring us from death to life. He paid our penalty of sin on the cross so that we could be reconciled, we could be brought back to God. So my question is, have you been brought from death to life? Have have, have you had the helmet of salvation placed on you by King Jesus? 
If not, I pray today's the day. I pray that today is the day that you would cross that line of faith. Step from death to life and say, I'm, I'm in. I place my faith and my trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, if you are, if you say you've already done that, then, then my next question would be, are, are, do you know how to use your sword? Hebrews 4.12 tells us this. Says, For the word of God is living and, maybe yours says active, the Holman says living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. See, we don't believe that these are just black and maybe in yours too, red words on a page. But that this word is living. That, that it's still as effective in 2017 as it was in year one. And I would argue we see it played out in the world around us. I was visiting with some guys this week who aren't believers, and our, our topic turned to, to the Bible, and, and I, said, any, I said, any faith has to be grounded in reality. It has to make sense in the world around you. I said, and as, I, as I've spent time in the Bible, I said, I have seen it come alive in the world around me. It, it's not true because I believe it. I believe it because it's true. Because this is much like glasses. It brings everything else into focus around me. When, when, when I correctly understand this, know your word. If you're not in the word regularly, you are ill-prepared for the battle in which we are in. So, as I wrap up here, I have two, two things, two, two thoughts in closing. First of all, we need to understand that we have an enemy. And despite what the news or Christian broadcasters might tell you, it is not Muslims and it's not atheists. We have one enemy. First Peter 5.8 tells us to be serious and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. We have one enemy. It's not those who mock us. It's not those who malign us. It's not even those who would seek to put us to death if given the chance. The Bible tells us that those who are enemies of God are simply sinners in need of a Savior. We have one enemy who roams around looking for whom he may devour. But, so, so that's the bad news. If it ended there, it's just kind of like, well, what, what do we do? The good news is, not only the, the good news is that God did not leave us stranded against our enemy. He also gave us a strategy. And this is what he says, the next verse, 1 Peter 5, 9. Resist him and be firm in the faith. Again, that comes as we know the word, as we let the word transform us. As we come to know who God says we are and who God says he is and who he says others are. Knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We, we've talked before that there are believers gathered this morning in closets, in living rooms, knowing that at any minute someone could come th busting through the door 
and haul everyone off to jail or kill everyone in the room simply because of this book. And yet they gather boldly. And they go out boldly, sharing the gospel. Seeing men, women, and children coming to faith in Christ. And, and listen, if they can do it under threat of imprisonment and threat of death, may we be bold at the risk of being mocked by coworkers. And when we are, and you will be, if you, you start sharing your faith actively, not, not aggressively, but actively, you, you will be mocked and you will be maligned. And, and Paul just said here, you can rejoice because you're sharing in a bit of the sufferings that are being experienced by believers around the world. So first question, have you, have you crossed the line of faith? If not, as soon as we stand to sing in just a moment, Brother Chuck will be right on, on your left side. I'll be right down here on the right side. We'd love to visit with you about what that means. Maybe you're here this morning. God's laying somebody on your heart saying, you know what, I need to, I, I need to be more active in, in sharing my faith. If that's the case, we, we'd love to visit with you and pray with you that God would give you opportunities and boldness in those situations. Maybe you're just here and you'd say, man, I, need, I just need to... I need to learn how to handle the sword correctly. I need to become more familiar with it. I'd love to pray with you and show you some, some ways you can do that as well. However God's moving in your heart, you respond. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you just for the opportunity to gather. I thank you for the example we have in Nehemiah. of men and women who, who faced opposition as they followed you, and yet who trusted that, that you were leading them, who trusted that you were protecting them, and who didn't cower back in fear at opposition, but who kept right on working. God, may we be people who do the same. That as we carry out the Great Commission to make disciples and baptize them and teach them the things that you've commanded. That we would come to expect opposition, but we would not, we would not fear opposition. But we would be bold in actively sharing our faith with those around us. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your guidance. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.